0: Well, great to, great to be here at church this morning. I hope you've had a great time so far. If you're new here this morning, my name's Phil. I'm part of the team here at True North, and as was mentioned a little bit earlier, we're in the middle of this series called Fearless this morning. Now, was uh, anyone around last week where we started our series? Anyone around for that? We, we learned about some different fears. We learned about perhaps the role of fear in our life and how sometimes it can cause us to live a life of less that. fear fears can create limits on boundaries, uh, on the kind of life that we might live. And as we continue that conversation this morning, we're going to lean particularly into the context of faith and how fear and faith come together in our lives. And we want to lean into this idea of what could it look like to have fearless faith in our lives. Can someone say fearless? Fearless. We're going to talk about this this morning, what might it look like to have a kind of faith in our life that is not limited by the power of fear you know if you're anything like me uh, since last Sunday and Dean's great message introducing this idea of fear you might have been thinking about some of the fears that you have in your own life did that did that was that a catalyst in anyone's mind over the last week what are some of the things that that actually caused me a bit of fear and it got me thinking about uh, a moment last year a friend of mine's right into bikes he you know builds bikes it's just his thing his house is filled with them and he hooked me up with this road bike and I decided that I was going to start riding to work and I, I I live in Karamar and for work that's a, a Mullaloo campus here in Mullaloo So it's a little bit of a ride, and I was actually okay with that. But one of the really difficult parts of that ride, for for those of you that know the area, there's a roundabout on the corner of Burns Beach Road and Junilup Drive, and you kind of you know you know that hill, you know that hill. Riding up that hill is just a hot mess. It's like peddling through hummus. It's just a nightmare, and you're kind of grinding your way up that hill. Now here's the X factor. Alongside that hill, there's a there's like that natural bushland heading onto the lake, which is really, really beautiful, but at a certain time of year, it is just filled with magpie nests. Right? And of course, at a certain time of year, those magpies just go crazy at any cyclist venturing up the hill. So you've got these two things coming together. You're pedalling really, really slowly, overcome with exhaustion, trying to get up this hill. Meanwhile, there's a bunch of magpies swooping at you every five seconds. Now, I've discovered that I have a definite fear of being swooped by birds, 100% 100% that is a fear in my life. I know it's a fear because as I'm getting close to that hill, I start thinking about the birds. My heart starts beating a little bit faster and I start to get a little bit of a cold sweat that could be involved with, you know, just riding and the wind and that kind of thing. But, but I ke- heading up to that hill, I'm like, I felt a genuine sense of dread. And you know what happened? About a week after experiencing that, grinding up that hill, getting swooped every five seconds, I decided I wasn't going to ride to work anymore. I did just straight up, that is exactly what happened. And you could say a couple of things, you know, it was a little bit too long a ride. It's annoying getting to work and having a shower. It's just a bit too much physical exercise in one day. I could have said all those things, but if I'm really honest and look back at that situation, it was the magpies. It was the magpies. I'm just not going up that hill again. I'm not getting swooped again. I hate just, you know, riding like this and getting swooped. And because of that reason, I said, okay, I'm not riding to work anymore. This is too much. Now, that's a small example of how fear can have a limiting impact on the way that we live our lives, on the behaviours that we have, on the choices that we make. That fear will always cause us to live a life of less. But here's the challenge. That same fear that can limit us from getting on a bike and riding to work is the same kind of fear that can limit who we are as the people of faith, as the people of God, as the people who live their lives to follow Jesus. And so we want to say, what would it take to choose faith over the fears that can limit? Yeah, I want to take us to a, a really cool passage of Scripture here this morning from Daniel chapter 3. Now, the first six chapters of Daniel are this awesome historical narrative around a group of young Jewish men who were taken from their home, taken from their city, taken from their country into captivity, where they're basically assimilated into a new culture. The, the king of Babylon at the time conquers Israel, conquers Judah, takes the bre- best and brightest amongst the young leaders of Israel and assimilates them into their culture. And this is the story of Daniel, as well as three other guys that are mentioned in the passage, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys remember these guys? Anyone heard this story before? For for all the kids here this morning, you might remember their names by shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. Is anyone familiar with that? Yeah? (laughs) Yeah, anyone else? Yeah, so you like you shake the bed, get all the feathers, you know, puffed up nicely, you make the bed. I don't know about making the bed, then going to bed, but anyway, that's the that's that's the saying. So so these guys, if anybody had a reason to live a life of fear, it was this particular group of young men. Taken from their home, taken into this whole new city, and told that they now have to become like the Babylonians and serve in the, the king's court in Babylon. They had every reason to live a life of fear. Yet what happens over the six chapters at the start of Daniel is three different kings attempts to kill faith in their life and they just cannot do it. And it is fantastic. It's one of the greatest stories of faith triumphing over fear that we have in Scripture. And we're going to lean into that story this morning. Take a look at the life of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And for all the kids here this morning, shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. You guys are going to remember that, right? Anyone? Yeah. But so here's what happens. The, the king, in one of his attempts to, to crush the faith of the, the young Jewish men, the young Jewish leaders, and to align faith in his kingdom, he, he decides in Daniel chapter 3 to have this giant structure built, a golden statue, if you almost imagine like a tower, 30 meters high, 3 meters wide, covered with plated gold. It could be seen from miles away. And here was the command of the king. You're going to bow down and worship This golden monstrosity. You're going to bow down and worship it. You're going to make it as if it is your God. It's called idolatry when something takes the place of God's rightful place in our life, in our worship. And the king's command is to say, this is what you will worship now. And he says, when you hear the sound of the music, you're to bow down and you're to worship. And here's how he communicates his command. And we're going to go to to Daniel chapter 3 here and in verse 4. Then a her- so yeah, 3 verse 4, I, I did have it right, that's nice. Then a herald shouted out, the herald was like the, the voice of the king to the people. People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zire, the lyre, the harp, the pipes and other musical instruments, bow down to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who, f- who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. And then continuing in verse 7. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So it's somewhat in my mind of a very very unsubtle way to use fear to prescribe behaviour. So he's saying, everyone, you need to worship this. Not because you want to, not because it's a good idea, not because it's going to be good for your life, but because if you don't, I'm throwing you into the fiery furnace. And I know what you're thinking. This guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, is kind of a jerk. That's probably an accurate conclusion. He says, if you don't worship this golden image that I've created, you're going into the fire. He's using fear to control behavior. You know, for a moment this morning, I want to lean into this idea of the prescription of fear. You know how when you go to the doctor, you get a prescription, and it's basically the doctor saying, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to get this medication, you need to take it three times a day, you need to take it with water, you need to make sure you've got a full stomach. The doctor is prescribing behavior to make you better. Now, fear, likewise, has a prescription for our life, but almost always, the prescription of fear doesn't bring health to who we are, but the prescription of fear brings limits to who we are. So in this case, the king prescribes to the people, he says, let go of your faith, whatever it might be, and place your faith in this golden statue. That's a prescription of fear. And if you don't do it, there's going to be a massive consequence for your life that says, let go of your faith, allow your own faith to die, and place your faith in this golden structure. And the prescription of fear is to let faith die. You know, in our own lives and in much less dramatic ways to what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experience here in Daniel chapter three, fear has a prescription for our life of faith. So I wonder this morning, if we started to consider how does fear impact the way I live out my faith? How does fear have an impact on who I am as a person of faith? Here are some things to consider that maybe fear causes us to perhaps ignore the call of God in our life. That maybe you've ever had an experience where you feel God calling you to live your life in a particular way, to make a key decision, maybe to have a significant change in your career path, maybe to do something of significant sacrifice. And because of the fear associated with the call you feel God bringing to your life, you step back from it. Sometimes that's a way fear can impact our life of faith. How else might fear shape us? You know, sometimes I think one of the things that is a reality for, for us way too often is that fear can actually shape the way we express and talk about our faith. I wonder if you've ever been asked by a friend or a or a coworker some variation of this question. How was your weekend? What did you do on Saturday? And you list off a few different things, play sport with the kids, went and watched a movie, it was great. And, and what did you do on Sunday. And for those of us that believe in Jesus and are connected with church on a Sunday morning, sometimes there's this voice in our head that says, whatever you do, don't talk about the fact that you went to church. Has anyone experienced that before? You don't have to put your hand up. I know we've all been there. That, in a subtle way, is fear influencing the way that we live out our faith. It's preventing us from having a conversation where someone could hear about the joy, grace, and hope of Jesus that's in our lives. But fear in such a subtle way prevents us from getting there. Now, here's what I want to get at this morning, is that there is a prescription of fear in the way that we live a life of faith, and it is always going to cause us to experience less of who God is, and it's always going to cause those around us to experience less of who God is. Fortunately, saying yes to the prescription of fear isn't the only option. And that's what these three guys do. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The king gives this command, but they don't bow. They don't worship the golden structure. And word gets back to the king. And here's how he responds. Who thinks King Nebuchadnezzar is going to respond well? Anyone? Just, a, you know, he seems like a pretty measured guy. Like maybe something like, you know what, guys? That wasn't the best, but I understand. Uh, He's probably not going to respond like that. Let's see how it actually goes down in verse 13. Furious with rage. Someone say furious. furious. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, notice the little g, or worship the image of gold I have set up? Is it true they had an opportunity even here to take the path of fear and say, no, no, we have worshiped. Everything's fine. We we worship the golden image, but that's not what happened. And we'll continue in verse 15. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready, listen to this part of the verse, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. If you're ready to say yes to the prescription of fear that I've put on your faith, very good. It's almost like everything's going to be Okay. Everything's going to be forgiven. If you, just, if you just worship like I commanded, we're not going to have any problems. Everything can go back to the way they were. These guys were young leaders in his kingdom, part of the reason why he was so angry. But if you just worship, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be very good. It's all going to be okay. And then changing gears, but if you do not worship, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then he has his attack on their faith. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, things have just gotten a lot more real for these three guys. There was a command given to an entire nation, thousands of people. Perhaps there was part of them that thought, maybe I can hide in that sea of people. But it wasn't the case. Others saw that they didn't bow and and let the king know. They they dobbed on him. Uh, Dobbing's never fun. So the king finds out, brings them into his presence. Now, what you've got to understand, in this moment in history, 600 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar is the world power of the ancient east, the most powerful man in their whole world. And they're standing in his presence, and he gives them this command. He says, if you bow, everything's going to be fine. If you don't, you're going straight to the furnace. Now, this is where fear becomes real. So let's talk a little bit about the reality of fear. Because sometimes when we talk about being fearless or having a fearless faith, we can sometimes think that a person who is fearless doesn't experience fear, that they've got something that's different in their brain and they don't experience that emotion. But of course, that's not the case. Fearless individuals just learn to not accept the prescription of fear. They experience the fear just like everyone else, but they're able to make a decision to not let it define their behavior. They keep riding to work, even though the magpies are swooping. (laughs) (laughs) They keep doing the things that even though fear says, don't do it. Because here's one of the realities of fear. That the prescription of fear, you know what it's actually prescribing? The easy way out. It's prescribing the easy way out. It's one of the key realities of what fear is. So let's say, for example, all of us, a fear that we've had to overcome at one point in our life is a fear of learning how to ride a bike. So why are we afraid of learning how to ride a bike? For those of you who've got parents, you might be in the middle of this like I am. Maybe there's a fear of embarrassment that you fall over in front of others. It's a fear of a scraped knee. Perhaps a fear of getting pinched by the tags of your helmet. That's that's where my kids are up to at the moment. Anyone else? Oh, that's a, that's a real one. I don't know if there's an official, you know, name for that fear. Like, I'm not going to come up with one. <laughs> at risk of swearing. If you weren't here last week, Pastor Dean accidentally let slip a little... Slip of mouth, I've done the same thing as well, it was really funny. But, but the, re- the reality of fear is it will always cause us to live that life of less taking the easy way out. So say we're riding a bike, the easiest thing to do if we've got a fear of any of those things happening is stay away from the bike. That's the easiest thing to do. If you've got a fear of swimming, a fear of your head going underwater, the easiest thing to do is to stay away from any kind of body of water. So really what fear is often doing in our lives is prescribing the path of least resistance, prescribing the path that is easiest. So if we look in and think about this idea in the context of this passage and these verses, what's the easier way out in this moment? And the king makes it so seductive. If you just bow down, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be very good. We're not going to have any more problems. The easiest thing for Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego to do is let their faith die. That's exactly what the king's asking them to do. Let your faith die and worship this golden image. If you're able to do that, it's going to be very good. Everything's going to be easy. We're not going to have any kinds of problems. You know, sometimes we do this too often in our experience of faith. That really what fearless faith is, is faith that refuses to take the easiest path. Faith that refuses to take the easy way out. Faith that refuses to avoid conversations. Faith that refuses to hide the reality of our salvation in Jesus. Faith that refuses to be anything less than a person of radical praise in the knowledge of our Savior. And of course, that's what these three guys choose. They choose their faith. They don't take the easy way out and they hold on to their faith in who God is. You know, I want to show you a a story really quickly on the screens. It's a a songwriter from Hillsong, and he's actually in the process of of writing a song about faith, and he's actually influenced by this same passage that we're looking at uh, this morning, a song called Another in the Fire, if you want to listen to it later on. And and there's something of a story behind it where he wrestles with this faith and, and a fear that he has in his life for a particular outcome that becomes reality. And it causes a wrestle of faith in his life. And I want to show you his story real quick as we continue in the message. Can we, can we play that, lads?
1: I know the story, the, old, the Bible story. But when that becomes real life, like, do I, what does that look like now? Like, what does it look like to be like, I'm not bowing to your idols. And if you throw me in the fire, it's okay because um, God will rescue us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing anyway. Like, that's real life yeah. for everybody.
2: As the song kind of developed, I think for both of us, personally, the song started kind of going from being a, a cool title and a cool lyric to like something that I feel like we both
1: really needed personally. When we were writing it in separate ways, going through very real things, we're trying to both kind of encourage each other. <laughs> that's what we do, that's what fellowship is, that's what community is, that's what songs I think they should do is kind of they're reminders, they're confessions. So I'm not sure, I I believe this, I believe it for the future, I believe it because I saw it in the past, but right now I think I believe it, I, I want to believe it. But when you say it, when you confess it, and you remind your soul, it's amazing, like that confession precedes belief, and it's in that sense, that's why I think it's really powerful.
2: So when we finished the chorus and we were happy with the chorus, I wrote Joel and I was like, hey, like I think I just want to try the chorus in church and see what happens. For me, that was a pivotal moment because I was ready to walk away from the song, because I was honestly getting to a point where I was like, I don't know if I believe what I'm writing, so I don't know if I can write this song. Well the week before Creative Conference, when we recorded the album, um, I you know, had to message Joel and and say, hey, you know... Um, our." Our boy, he's like gotten his official autism di- diagnosis, and um, and that that really sucked for me um, because I f- I kind of felt like I was doing everything I was supposed to be doing to like speak faith and the future and like kind of all the things that like we get told to do, and um, and so I was pretty upset and um, I didn't want to go to creative conference anymore part of one of the things that my son works through right now is is right now he doesn't speak yet and I just kind of in that moment was like all right like I'm gonna get this room to sing for him and um, I'm gonna make the enemy regret his decision to try and throw this in my face and so I was just like I'm gonna go so hard. Like I'm just like I'm. I'm gonna really. I'm gonna try and just leave it all on on the platform. And um, and so we did the song, and I feel like it was electric. Such a special atmosphere that these guys had worked so hard to build, and I think, like at the end of the day, um, maybe what this song has taught me, and maybe what I hope that it will teach other people, is the in between's okay, mm. and it doesn't make, it doesn't affect true things being true. They're still true. They're now and not yet. They're here and yet to come, and that's okay. The key is that you're never alone in any of it. I hope that that's what this song does.
0: if he doesn't, I'll stand tall. Let me read you this scripture from verse 16, which he's singing from. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. But even if he doesn't, we will not let go of our faith. You know, in these verses, there's two contexts of faith that are being described. The first is the faith that these three guys had in the Lord their God. Now this was the whole reason that they wouldn't bow to this golden structure in the first place. They had faith in the truth of who God is. That was the preeminent faith in their life. That was the first faith in their life. The faith in the reality of their God as the one true God over and above every God. Every little G God that the Babylonians could throw at them. He was the one God. The core of their lives was to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their souls, with all their mind. So to worship and to bring their worship to this golden statue would be to compromise the firstness of their faith in who God was, in the truth of who God was. But then they referenced this other kind of faith. They referenced this faith in God to deliver from a specific outcome. And for them it was being thrown into the furnace, to say in verse 17, if we're thrown into the fire, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He has the power, He has the authority to do that, to change the outcome of this specific situation that we face. That's faith in God's ability to do something in a specific situation. You see the difference in those two kinds of faith? Now here's what's really interesting and really important in the way these guys structure their faith. They have this, but even if he doesn't. You know what they're saying is, my faith in the truth of who God is, my salvation in Jesus through the cross comes before God's ability to make a difference in a specific situation. And even if he doesn't, For whatever reason that I can't put my head around, that I can't reconcile in my own mind and heart, even if he doesn't, the faith that comes first in my life is the faith in the truth of who God is. You know, that's the wrestle that that young songwriter was experiencing during that time. That he believed for a specific outcome. For whatever reason, it didn't happen that way. doesn't take his heart of faith in the truth of who God is and he praises even harder the words he uses just going to leave it all out here with every ounce of who I am I'm going to bring praise to God you know when we praise God it kills fear in our life. when we praise God it kills fear now I want to invite the team to to come back and join us and we're going to sing we're going to sing that great great song again And I want to leave you with this thought and leave you with this idea that when it comes to this kind of fearless faith, I think a lot of our fears in faith can come from a place where the the preeminent faith in our life is faith in God's capacity to do specific things in our life, that that's the primary avenue of faith in our life. Now, when that's the primary avenue of faith, we're going to be a little bit fearful what if God doesn't? What if it doesn't happen that way? What if, what if it doesn't work out exactly like I'm hoping and praying? You know, this greater faith in the truth of who God is allows us to declare the phrase, even if he doesn't, I'll stand tall. Even if he doesn't, I continue to praise because I believe in a God who is good. I believe in a God that is always present Another in the fire. You know, the story finishes. King Nebuchadnezzar's response is indeed to throw them into that fire. And the king looks on and he sees another in the fire. He sees the representative of the Most High God, an angel of the Lord, in the fire with them. They still go to the fire. They still experience the terror of the furnace. But they're not alone. There's another in the fire with them. And they come out through the fire miraculously. Now, something really special happens in this moment. The King Nebuchadnezzar, the one that's working so hard to implement fear, to crush faith in their life, he sees a new picture of who God is. He sees in clarity, or beginning to see in clarity, who this God of these Hebrew men is. And he actually declares the phrase, and can we get that that scripture up there, the last verse? Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, we learn to live a fearless faith, we see God more clearly and others see him more clearly as well. Where's fear limiting who we are as followers of Jesus? What's one thing in your life that you can take hold of and say, I'm going to let faith triumph over fear in this part of my life. I'm going to have faith in the broadest picture of who God is, his truth. and I'm not going to let things that might happen derail my faith in who Jesus is. Can we stand together this morning? And we're going to sing a great song. And let me pray for you as we lead into that. God, thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you that in you we find faith to triumph fear. And Lord, I pray that there would not be things any longer that limit who we are as people of faith. God, I pray against fears of inadequacy, of anxiety, of worry. Lord, I pray against fears of of being accepted as followers of Jesus in the world that we live in. God, I pray against fears of having conversations. I pray against fears of stepping into the kind of life that you invite us to. God, I pray that, that each one of us would find courage in you this morning. We praise you, God. We invite you to come and speak to us as we sing these words this morning. Let's worship Him, church.